and the songwriters said that when Jesus said yes, that nobody can say no. I don't know about you today, but I'm glad today that the God I serve has the final word. That when Jesus says yes, that it don't matter what else anybody else says. Because his word is the final word. Amen. Amen. We are glad to be in the house one more time today, uh, believing that God is in this place and feeling the presence of his spirit among us. We are just grateful uh, for the invitation that God has given us today to join him in worship and to join him in what he's doing even in now in this moment. Let's look to him. Father, we do come to you in this moment uh, with our hearts open, our minds prepared for what it is that you will say to us. Father, you sent out the invitation inviting us to this place. You set a table and prepared your word, and we have responded. We sit around your table ready to dine. And Master, we pray that you would serve up your meal in only the way that you can. Pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and that as James commanded us, then we would not just be hearers, but indeed we would be doers of your word. I pray that you would stand up in me, that where I am weak, that you would make me strong, that ultimately your word will accomplish its purpose. And so I pray that you let the words of my mouth be your words and the meditations of my heart be the meditations of your heart, that you would find them all acceptable in thy sight. For, Lord, you are my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. You do know in the house today that every word of the scriptures is important. Amen. It's all important to God. But I want to suggest to you that there are certain passages of the scripture that we need to pay particular attention to because they are particularly close to the Lord's heart. I want to lift one of those passages for you today. And even as I call out the text, some of you in here will say, oh, I know that text already. I've heard a sermon preached on that text so many times, but I want to encourage you even today to hear it afresh because this message is not only for the house, but it is for you. Look at your neighbor and tell him this message is for you. Come on, look at the other one and tell him this message is for you too. Amen. And so, man, if you are able in the house, if you would stand to your feet in reverence to the word of God, find in your Bible the first book of the New Testament, the gospel according to Matthew. And when you find Matthew, I'd ask you to direct your attention to the very last chapter of that book, Matthew chapter number 28. And I want to begin reading for you from verse number 16. Matthew 28. beginning at verse number 16. The words of Matthew read this way. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I want to use this text and I want to preach today about the most important thing we do. The most important thing we do. Making disciples is the most important thing we do in the church. I recognize that that's a heavy statement that I just made, 
because we do so many important things in the church. We come together on Sunday morning to worship. We gather at appointed times to pray. We support each other through fellowship activities and small group ministry. We feed hungry people. We encourage the sick and the shut-in. We observe the ordinances of the church, baptism and communion. We do a lot of important things, but in everything that we do in the church, I want to suggest to you that disciple-making is the most important. Think about it this way. If you and I are not serious about making disciples, as wonderful as worship is and as powerful as our prayer life might be, as encouraging our fellowship and as effective as our feeding programs are, without disciple making, we can be sure that we will be the last generation to do any of those things. Because disciple making is what ensures the continuation of Christianity. George Berna said it this way. He said, the strength and influence of the church is wholly dependent upon its commitment to discipleship, providing transformed lives and seeing those lives reproduced in others. He says it is a core challenge to believers and every local church, end quote. And, and, And even as I talk about disciple making, notice that I'm not using words like outreach and evangelism. Those are often confused, but, but while evangelism and outreach are important, neither of them is disciple-making. In his book, 11 Innovations in the Local Church, Ed Stetzer observes this. He says, the definition of success in the typical American church is to lead a new believer to come to church to give a tithe and to take a job assisting somehow in the church's ministry. He says that most of our discipleship programs in American churches are designed to produce those three things. They are important, but they can and often do, he says, occur without ever creating a life-changing impact within the believer. And see, this is the difference between disciple-making and evangelism. Uh, True disciple-making is not simply leading people to Christ, but it's developing them into transformed, mature followers of Christ. And see, the truth is that disciple-making is not just the most important thing that the church does. But disciple-making and making disciples ought to be the most important thing that you do. And see, again, that's a, a heavy statement because, because you and I do so many important things. We, we raise children. We, we educate ourselves. We work a job. We engage in ministry. Hopefully, we contribute somehow to the broader society. But, but the most important thing that you and I will ever do in this life is to pour ourselves into the life of somebody else, getting them to the point when they can then turn around and pour themselves into somebody else. You all with me today? And Jesus wants to tell these disciples of his the importance in making other disciples. As we make our way to this text, it's one week after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And our Lord's, his his ministry and his life has now come full circle. We find here Jesus going back to Galilee, the place where his ministry began. And over the past week or so, uh, the events of his life, Jesus' life, have all centered in Jerusalem. It was in Jerusalem where there was the triumphal entry, where he rode into town on the donkey. 
It was in Jerusalem where he made, uh, where he had been crucified and, and Jerusalem is the place where he had been raised up again. But now Jesus has, has brought the 11 back together for one final instruction and he tells them to meet him back in Galilee. He says, he says, go back to the place where you and I first bet. He says, Peter and James, where I came and got you out of your daddy's boat. Matthew, where I've pulled you from your tax collector table. Go back to Galilee, where we first met. Now, observe here that when Jesus tells somebody to meet them somewhere, they should expect a life-changing event once they get there. Let, Let me say that again. Let let me make it personal for you that when the Lord says to meet him somewhere, you and I should expect something life-changing to happen once we get there. there. There are so many things in our life that just are not that exciting at all. But but I want to tell you today that whenever you receive an invitation from God to meet him somewhere, you ought to be excited about the invitation. Whenever, amen, God comes to you, however he comes to you, and he says to you, listen up, I want you to meet me somewhere. I don't care where that somewhere is. You ought to get excited about the invitation because whenever God invites you somewhere you can know that when you get there that there's going to be a life changing experience in store for you and that's why I feel like we should always get excited about coming to church on Sunday morning yeah when the Lord invites you understand that when you came here this morning it wasn't because you just woke up and you decided that it was a good idea to come to church no you are here today because God invited you I know it's international Sunday and and you You got all dressed up to come and have some food. But God decided long before the foundation of the world that on this date and at this time that you and he had an appointment together and he said to show up in the church. And I'm excited about that because I know that when God says to show up that there's something life changing that can happen. Listen to me here. Coming to church is not like going to the movies. It's not like going to the ball game. There's something uh, about this place that God moves in this place. Somebody's breakthrough is in this place today. Somebody's been praying for something for an awful long time. And God said, if you just meet me at my house, I've got a word for you that will change your life forever. Is there somebody here today that knows in the presence of God is the fullness? of joy is there somebody here today that can testify that God can do great things if you show up that's what the psalmist meant when he said I'm glad when they said to me let us go into the house of the Lord some of y'all are looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about but you just sit there long enough and a praise will come over you you won't be able to help yourself because the Holy Spirit don't care what you and I came to do he came to be glorified and magnified by the people who are called by his name I'm glad today that today is Sunday morning and the house of God is open for service I'm glad today that God can do great things when his people show up y'all can look at me if you want to I'll have church in here all by myself because God has been good to me he's been good to you he says all you got to do is show up And if you show up, God will do some great things. But he says now, he says, he says, he says, it's not enough that we just show up. He says, but we've got to show up ready to worship. Hear me now. It does no good to show up 
if you're not ready to worship the Lord. He, he says, look, it's in the text. In verse 17, the Bible says that when the disciples saw Jesus, they worshipped him. You see that? It suggests to us here that the disciples had gathered in Galilee, the place where Jesus said to meet him, and somewhere off in the distance, they could see the outline of Jesus. But once Jesus got close enough to them for them to understand unmistakably that this is Jesus, the Bible says that they began to worship him. Hear me now. Worship is the act of paying honor to God. It's what we do because we understand who God is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever you find somebody who just won't allow themselves to worship God, the problem is that they don't really know who God is. Because when you really know who God is, is you can't help but worship him you can't help but fall down at his feet the bible said that god called isaiah up he saw him high and lifted up his train filled the room and isaiah began to worship this word worship has its origin in the Hebrew word that means to bow down. It, it is to lay oneself prostrate before God in order to give him honor and to give him the reverence that he deserves. See, see, worship, when you worship God, you're acknowledging who God is. You, you're saying, God, I know that you are the king eternal. I know that you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we come into his presence, we can't help but to worship See, understand that worship is different from praise. Praise is when you acknowledge the works of God and the benefits of God. See, praise is the rejoicing that comes over us, not necessarily because we know who God is, but because of what God has done in our lives. Yeah, let let, let me help you with this. Worship. You worship God because God is good. You praise God because God has been good to you. You worship God because he is the way, the truth, and the life. But you praise him because he made a way for you. You worship him because he is a promise keeper. But you praise him because he kept his promise to you. You worship him because he's Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. But you praise him because when you didn't know how you were going to make it through, God provided for you. You praise him because he's Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. But you praise him because when all hell was breaking loose in your life, he provided some peace and some comfort to you. You worship him because he's Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. But you praise him because when the medication stopped working, he healed your own body. You worship him because he's El Shaddai, the almighty God. But you praise him because he's been mighty in your life. He's moved some mountains for you. He's made your enemies back up. And so you worship him. But you gotta give him some praise. The psalmist said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He, 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 he. He's worthy of worship and he's worthy 
of praise. Understand that whether we worship him or not, he's still worthy. Whether we praise him or not, he's still worthy. Jesus said, you know what? I'm so worthy of praise that if you and I don't do it, I'll make the boulders and the rocks and the pebbles cry out. He says, when you show up, you've got to expect some stuff to happen here. He says, he says, he says, but look else in the text. He said, not only when you show up will some things happen. He says, but when you show up, God will speak to you. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That when you show up where God is, that God will talk to you? And Matthew is trying to share with us that God spoke to these 12. But Matthew does something very important in this text. He, he says to us, not only did God speak, and not only is what he said important, but how he said it is also important. He says to us in this text that there are some nonverbal communication going on. Y'all know about nonverbal communication, right? Uh, She may not say a word to you, but you know how she'll look at you. Mm -hmm. You you know you're in trouble when you get that look, right? I remember when I was a little boy in the church and I was sitting next to my mother. She didn't even have to say anything to me, but she would just look over down. And I knew it was time for me to be quiet. There's some nonverbal communication going on in the text. And in Matthew, he, 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 says, he says there's two things going on here. He says the words that Jesus spoke here were restorative. I want to show it to you. There's restoration in this text. So so often in this gospel, when you read Matthew, Matthew introduces the words of Jesus by simply making statements like, and Jesus said, or, 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 and Jesus answered them. But, but Matthew is very deliberate here when he recounts this particular story. What he does is he strings three verbs together to tell you that there's some nonverbal communication going on here. Look at it in the text. In the New King James, it says, and Jesus came to them. That's the first verb. Said that he spoke to them. That's the second verb. Then it said saying. That's the third verb. Matthew was trying to make a point here. The first verb he uses, he says that Jesus came to them. Mm-hmm. You see it in the text? Literally, that word means that Jesus associated with them. Now, now that may not mean a whole lot to you and me, but, but that word came to them was very significant for these disciples. Because if you remember what has just happened in this text, the last time that Jesus saw these disciples, he was hanging on the cross and he was looking down at them while they scattered to their own areas. They were so afraid of what was going on, even though Peter said, you know what, Jesus, I will be with you to the very end. That same Peter that said, I will be with you. Uh, He was somewhere by somebody's fire and they said, do you know this Jesus? And the Bible says that he denied him three times. This is the same 12 disciples that just a few days earlier fell asleep while Jesus was at the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, look, I need somebody to just stand watch and stand guard while I go and I pray. And the Bible says that they couldn't even stay awake long enough to wait for Jesus to finish praying. In so many ways, these 12 disciples had let Jesus down and Jesus would have been right to just turn his back on them and go another way. Understand here, Jesus does not have to come to them. He could have sent an angel to deliver a message. He could have called Mary to deliver the marriage the message but the bible says that jesus comes to them personally and when jesus comes to them personally the nonverbal communication is that no matter what you have done in the past no matter how bad you've messed up i will still come to you i will restore you and i will reconcile the relationship and you don't have to think too long on your own life to get happy about restoration because if your story is anything like 
like my story, uh, then you've got some stuff in your background uh, that Jesus would have been right uh, to just turn and go the other way. Uh, But it seemed like time after time after time, uh, Jesus came to you uh, when he should have just left you. Uh, I'm glad today uh, that Jesus is a God of restoration. Uh, The Bible says that he looks past our faults uh, and he supplies my needs. Uh, Maybe I'm the only one in here that can that can understand how these 12 feel because there's sometimes in my life when I feel like I've messed up so bad I wonder if Jesus is still going to be there when I turn around and look for him I wonder if he's going to still answer me when I call but thank God today that he's the same yesterday today and forevermore and no matter how bad you or I mess up he said he'll never leave us nor forsake us i'm glad that he comes to us he he came to them the bible says but but not only did he come to them but the bible said that he spoke to them jesus didn't just come to them but the bible said that he speaks to them do you understand that there is something very comforting about the voice of jesus Do you understand today that there's sometimes in life when you're glad that Jesus is there, but things get so bad that you need to hear him say something to you? You need to hear him say it's going to be all right. You need to hear him say that all things are going to work together for good. I know that I'm glad that Jesus is always sticking by me, but but I've been sometimes late at the midnight hour where, where I didn't know what the next day was going to bring and I heard him quoting scripture to me don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself is there somebody here today that's glad that Jesus doesn't just walk with you but that he talks with you the songwriter said that he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own and so Jesus he's, he comes to them he, he's in their presence and and he begins to speak to them and the words that he speaks there's a specific revelation to them he says something that's very revelatory he he says all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth that's revelation revelation means that that God has now revealed something that was previously hidden it means that what I just told you you didn't know about Jesus says all authority has been given to me this this is new if you read your your Bible you'll see that up until this point that that everybody who's been preaching has said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand John the Baptist came in the wilderness preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus adopted the same message. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But now Jesus is saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What what is he saying? preacher? He's saying that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, but now the kingdom of heaven is right here. And not only is the kingdom of heaven right here, but you're looking at the king of the kingdom. Oh, that's good news today. That God has all authority. You see it in the text. It doesn't say God has some authority or or God has most authority, but it says God has all power. What does that mean? It means that there's no force in heaven or on earth that has more power than the God that we serve. Well, let me make it plain for you. That means that there's no sickness or disease, no trial or tribulation, that we serve a God who can tear down any stronghold, who can break any addiction, who can move any mountain, a God who can prevail over any crisis. How do we know that? We know it because he said that I have all power. Oh, the president has some power, but he doesn't have all 
power. When the Queen of England comes into a room, people bow and they curtsy because she has some power, but she doesn't have all power. The Supreme Court, amen, has some power, but they've got to recognize that while they can change the law, that the only one that makes the rules down here is the God of all power. I'm glad today that the Bible says one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. There's revelation. He says that I've got all power. Oh, but Jesus is not finished. He's not finished. He says there's an appropriate response to my power. He says it's not enough for you to know that I have the power. He says, but you've got to understand that because I have power, there's some things that I need you to go to do. Yeah, the Bible says here that the disciple making of believers is a response to the power of God. Jesus says to these 11, he says, because I have authority over you. He says, in everything else under heaven and on earth, there is something that you are required to do. He says, go make disciples. And see, it's important for you to see how Jesus says this. He says, look, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He says, therefore, you go and make disciples. This word, therefore, it is a transition word. It's a bridge between what Jesus discloses and the appropriate response to that disclosure. He says, as a result, he says, of my authority, he says, you go make disciples. And see, this is important because it tells us that our obligation to make disciples is not based on anything about us. It's not about what we feel like. It's not about whether or not we feel like investing the time. It's not about whether we decide that we're going to do it or not, Jesus says that if you believe that I have authority over your life, he says then you need to do this disciple-making business. And, and, as, and as he says that to them, I want to lift five quick things for you that he tells us about disciple-making, and then I'll be finished. The first thing he says about disciple-making is that disciple-making should be incorporated into our Daily activities. See, 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 too many believers compartmentalize their lives. They, they believe that their, their Christian life is somehow separate from their secular lives. They, they practice their faith openly when they're in the church. But when they're outside the church and not around church folk, they tuck their faith in their back pocket. And they pull it out when it's time to shout and holler in the church. But hear me now. Christianity is not something that we do. You don't do Christianity. You don't do faith. You are Christian. You are faithful. And when Christianity is not something that you do, but something that you are, then you can't separate faith from your daily routine. And so Jesus says that that disciple making must be a part of who we are. See, now it's in, it's in the text. The grammatical construction of this word go in the text is such, is proper, is such that you should properly read this passage of scripture as you are going. There should be somebody or some people in your life who you are in a discipleship relationship with. And while they may not be with you physically all the time, you should be connected to them spiritually such that as you are going, you are thinking about how you can better raise them up into the faith. 
the, the model is Jesus. You've read the Gospels. You, you read stories of Jesus walking with the 12 just down the road, minding their own business. And Jesus would see a fig tree somewhere out in the distance. And he would point to that fig tree. And he would use that fig tree as a way of di- discipling the 12 who was following him. You remember the story of the 5,000 hungry people who were on the side of the hill without food. Jesus used those hungry people to disciple the 12. You remember the story of the woman in Capernaum with an issue of blood. She grabs onto Jesus' garment, and Jesus uses that to disciple the twelve. He says, as you are going, he says, as you are going down the street in your life, just pick up the phone and call the person you're in relationship with and tell them, look, I was just thinking about Jesus. And when I was thinking about Jesus, it reminded me of something I wanted to share with you. Text them and say, look, I'm glad that we're in relationship together. I love you like a brother or I love you like a sister. We are connected together and your good is my good and and we're in this thing together. He says, as you are going, he says, make disciples. That's the first thing. There's another thing in this text, though. He says that disciple making is not just something we ought to do uh, 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 on the regular in our life. But he says that disciple making is not optional. And and hear me now, because I know I'm talking to some folks who have checked out. I know I'm talking to some people who just decided for themselves this disciple making business is not for me. I'm just going to sit this one out. I'm I'm, I'm gonna let somebody else do that work. That's what we pay pastor for. That's what we pay the minister of education for. They're gonna do the discipling. Well, let me help you here because Jesus says that this disciple making business is not optional. This word make here, he says, go make disciples. It's an imperative, this word. It's a command. Jesus is not giving an option. He's not making a request here today. He's not saying, look, if you feel like it, if you're not too tired, if you don't have something else to do, then maybe kind of should you might make um, some disciples. He doesn't say that. He says, go make disciples. This is not an option for you. he he tells us, Jesus, what to do. The longer I live, I'm realizing the more that people don't like for you to tell them what to do. They, 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 who you think you are telling me what to do. And I hear Jesus, because somebody is saying that right now. And I hear Jesus say, you want to know who I am? I'm the king of kings. And the Lord of Lords, that's who I am. (laughs) You know what? Moses asked the same question. He said, who do I tell them sent me? He said, tell him that I am that I am. Whatever you need me to be to convince you that you need to make some disciples, that's what I am. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. I'm the bright and the morning star. I'm the rose of Sharon. I'm everything that you need in order to convince you that you need to make disciples. Somebody's mad. Y'all looking at me mad. I I, I see somebody's looking at me like, I don't like this. I don't like this word. But but I want to help you today because I want to suggest to you that your greatest joy in life will be found when you decide to disciple somebody. I know the world tries to convince us that more money will please us, that that more power and influence will please us, but I want to tell you that when you do what God has called you to do, when you live out what's in your very nature, see, God has put a seed in you to help birth somebody else, and when you give birth to somebody else and their growth and maturity, you will walk a little bit taller, because you'll look and you'll say, thank God he used me for that uh, I'm just trying I'm trying I'm trying to help you he, he says that it's 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 something that we ought to do he says that it's 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 not optional third he says here that it requires personal commitment mm-hmm. it's interesting to me when I think about disciple making I'm almost finished just stay with me uh, it's interesting to me when I think about uh, discipleship That God leaves disciple-making up to us. Understand that God 
could have reserved disciple-making to himself. He did that with salvation, after all. Understand that there's no matter how good you preach, no matter how well you witness, no matter how great you sing, the only one that can lead somebody to Christ is Christ himself. God said that no one comes to me unless I draw them. Jesus said that no one takes out of my hand those that God has given to me. God takes responsibility for saving us, but he gives us the responsibility of making disciples. That means that if you and I don't make disciples, then disciples aren't going to get made because Jesus is not going to wrestle from us the authority that he's given us to make disciples. But, but see, 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 the challenge, though, is that disciple-making requires personal commitment. It requires time. It requires effort. Uh, you, 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 and I, you, you and I cannot passively make disciples. See, that's, that's one of the, 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 the tricks of the world. The world has gotten us to a place where we like to sit back and, let the, and, and be entertained. We, we sit back. And we let the television entertain us. We, we, we put some food into a, a box and we press some numbers and hit start and the food cooks itself. And, 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 and so we're not used to actively participating in things the way we used to be. But when you are going to make a disciple, discipleship is painstaking work. It, it, takes, it, takes, it takes time and, and it takes effort. And, and you can't just sit back and watch somebody become a, a disciple. But you've got to jump in there and you've got to get in the mix. And, and I'm here to tell you that sometimes disciple making is not easy. Everybody is not easy to disciple. There's some people that are not going to listen to you. They're not going to read what you ask them to read. They're, they're not going to pray when you ask them to pray. They're not going to call when you ask them to call. But you've got to stick with it anyway. Why? Because the kingdom of God is dependent on some people who are willing to give themselves to raising up somebody else. It's, it requires a personal commitment. Fourth, disciple-making has a very specific outcome, all right? When you are in the process of disciple-making, you're trying to create something very specific. You're trying to create a disciple. Doesn't that make sense? The purpose of disciple-making is to make a disciple. So you ask me, what is a disciple? I'm glad you asked that. A, a disciple is a learner or a follower. It's somebody who gives themselves to the understanding or teaching of another. That means that when we make disciples of Christ, we are making people who have given themselves to learning and following Jesus. It means that they have committed themselves to talking like Jesus and, and walking like Jesus and, and living like Jesus. When, when you create a disciple, it's hard to distinguish between them and Jesus because they look so much alike. When, when, you, when you create a disciple, they start to sound like Jesus. They, they begin to quote scripture a little bit more. Why? Because those are the words of Jesus. And so we're trying to create disciples, mature people who are in relationship with the Lord. Amen? And here's the final one. Y'all ready for the final one? This is, the, th th this is the, the linchpin to all of it. Everything else that I have said today rests on this final point. You ready for it? If you want to make disciples, then you've got to... Y'all already read my, you already read my notes. If you want to make disciples, you've got to be a disciple. Nature is so instructive to us. It, this, this, this is seen. You cannot make something that you are not. I know science is doing a whole bunch of things with genetics, but, but you can't be a dog and make a cat. 
You, you can't be a sheep and biologically make a lion. You, you can only reproduce what you are. And the Bible says that if we want to make disciples, then we've got to be a disciple. If you're not a disciple yourself, if you're not following the Lord and you're not, and you're not uh, 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 trying to emulate the Lord, then don't get involved in this disciple-making business because what you will do is you will reproduce your own immature self. So if you're not, a disciple, if you're not in the position to be a disciple-maker, then the answer is to find somebody who will disciple you. And then once you've grown up a little bit in the Lord, once the Lord says, all right, now you're who I need you to be so you can go out and you can make somebody else, then you can step out and begin to make disciples. But you cannot make something that you are are, 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 are not. And, and, and that's not a word of discouragement to you. That's just to suggest today that, that, that there is a role and a place for all of us. All of us should either be a disciple maker or be somebody's disciple. But we should never be out there on our own, off as an island to ourselves, living life all by ourselves, not accountable to anyone. But we ought to be in a relationship of accountability and structure and growth and nurturing which comes within the context of disciple making y'all with me I said there's five things and I'm finished but I just want to show you this very last thing because there's encouragement in this text and I love what Jesus so often do Jesus doesn't always just give us a command he he gives us a lot of commands and here in this 28th chapter of Matthew Jesus says to us he says go and make disciples of all nations he says baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit he says teaching them all things that i have commanded you and he says he says i that's my command to you i'm not giving you an option or a choice but i'm commanding you to go and make disciples but but jesus does something here that i love when he does it he attaches to his command a promise. He says, if you do what I have commanded you, then you can be sure that I will fulfill the promise. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. But then he says, if you commit yourself to making disciples, he says, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And I don't know about you today, but I'm happy today that God promises me that if I just commit myself to doing what he's commanded me to do, that I can always count on him to be there right with me, that there's nowhere that I can go, that God will not be there with me. That no matter how high the mountain or low the valley may be, that if I commit myself to making disciples, that God will be with me to the ends of the age. I wonder if there's somebody here today that can take a little bit of comfort that God has promised you that no matter how bad it may get through the highs and the lows of life, that if you just commit yourself to pouring into the life of somebody else, that God will be with you to the ends of the age. I'm glad today that when I think about these 12 in the scripture, that each one of them took hold of the command that God had given to them, that even one, every one of them did exactly what Jesus said to do that they spread out over the world and they went and been witnesses to him in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the outermost parts of the world. I'm glad today that because they went out and they made disciples that you and I could sit 
sit in this sanctuary today, do you understand today that the only reason that you came to know Jesus is that somebody took this command seriously? And I wonder if there's somebody who down the line will be sitting in somebody else's sanctuary because you weren't ashamed to pour your life into them. You weren't ashamed to tell them that greater is he that is in them than he who is in the world. I want you to know today that there's somebody out there who's ready to give up. They're ready to throw in the towel. They're ready to give all in. But what they need is for somebody to tell them that they're more than conquerors through him that loves him. There's somebody that cannot see out of the darkness and what they need is for somebody to tell them that all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I wonder if there's somebody here today that can just give God some glory that there was somebody in your life who was willing to tell you about Jesus. Somebody who wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Christ because they knew that it was the power of God unto salvation. They led you into relationship but they didn't just leave you in the church but they began to call you and speak life into you and what you've got to do is to repay that favor for somebody else. It's not okay to just come in the church and listen to what God is saying and not do anything with it but the Bible says that Jesus wants you to go and make disciples and if you make disciples this world around you will change you won't have to worry about what a court says because you will have made so many disciples that the kingdom of God will be right now you'll raise up people that can be in positions of influence who will make decisions who will tell the world that thus says the Lord because God is the one who's in control he's the one who's got all power in his hands I don't know about you but I'm glad today that somebody discipled me that somebody told me that I that 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 that, that Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so I'm glad today for the love of Jesus is there somebody here today that sees the value of making disciples oh come on I don't need you to jump and shout about disciple making But what I do need you and what the Lord needs you to do is to acknowledge the importance. And see, once you acknowledge the the importance, you're in a difficult spot. Because once you acknowledge that this is what God wants me to do and that this is important to God, then you're faced with a choice. And the choice is, am I going to do what I know is important to God and what I know he wants me to do. And my encouragement to you, God, God, you know, I I say this to every new member that comes to this church and I'm, I'm finished, that if God has brought you to Clifton Park Baptist Church, if you are a member in this place, it's because God has a plan and purpose for you. And it's, not, and it's not because I, I'm going to get up every Sunday and tell you that God wants you to have this and be that. But, but it's because God has brought you to a place that takes your growth and development seriously. That he's brought you to a place that will make opportunities for you to grow up and mature in the faith if you make yourself available to be grown up and matured. This place here is a sign that God loves you and a sign that God has more for you. And so I want you to lay hold of this disciple-making business. I want you to be a disciple or I want you to make a disciple because that's what God has called us to do.
Somebody say amen in this house. It's the most important thing that we do. Amen? If you would stand to your feet. The doors of, of the church are open. That means that if there's somebody here today that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what does that mean? When I say that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it does not mean that you don't know who he is. But a relationship with Jesus means that you have not accepted him as your savior. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin that we have committed is, is enough to separate us from fellowship and relationship with the Lord. And so what we needed is for someone to, to cover our sin or to bridge the gap that existed between us and God. And the Bible says that when Jesus got on the cross and he died for our sin, that his blood that he shed for us was enough of a sacrifice and an atonement that God now looks past our sin and sees the blood of Jesus covering us. But what we have to do if we want to be saved from our sin is we've simply got to acknowledge that we are sinners and we've got to accept the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And so if you're here today and you've never acknowledged that you have sin in your life and you've never asked the Lord uh, to, to, to come into your life and acknowledge that he died for you, I want to give you the opportunity today to begin a fantastic journey with God. This discipleship, this growing and maturing in the faith, it begins by giving our life to the Lord. It begins by accepting him as our savior. So if there's one in here today that needs to establish a relationship with the Lord, we want to invite you to do that. Secondly, if there's someone that needs to rededicate their life, you, 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 you made a decision for the Lord, but, but you seem, it seems like this journey that you were on, you got so far off the road that, that it's even difficult now for you to even remember what it was like uh, when you had close fellowship with the Lord. The good news today is that God has always been waiting for you. He's never left you, but he desires that you give your life back to him through the process of rededication. And finally, if there's somebody that's looking for a church home, we've talked already about the importance of being within a body of believers who can join with you and walk with you and help nurture you as you, as you come uh, uh, with your own gifts and your own skill and your own talent. God wants you to be a part of a family of faith, and I want to offer this place to you. We, 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 we're a serious church with people who will love on you, who will do life with you, who will walk with you. And so we ask that you would that you would make a decision today. Those are the three invitations. If you need a relationship with Jesus, if you need to rededicate your life, or if you're looking for a church home, won't you come as the praise team would begin to sing? Won't you come today? Amen. 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 Won't you come? Won't you come today? Your life won't ever be the same. Won't you come? The doors of the church are open. Don't, don't, don't wait. Don't wait in this place. Don't, 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 don't try to wait until next week, next month. The, the, the tomorrow is not promised to you and God has ordained this day to be the day of salvation for you. Even as you listen to the words of this song, I want you to imagine Jesus himself singing this song to you. He says, I, I dream that your soul would be saved and that your life would never be the same. He does know your name, but he's still dreaming. That your soul would be saved in this place. Won't you come? Is there another in this place? I dreamed. I dreamed your soul 